2: east side in the afternoon of a turkey
1: exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming. holy cow!
0: Thank you for tuning in and now for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. You are listening to episode number 379, a quick chat with Denny Gulvis, And I am your co-host and the guy who has noticed a little bit of change in the air.
1: And I am your co-host and the guy who can't wait to see his other co-host next week.
0: (laughs) Come on now, don't try to flatter me.
1: Man, I'm excited about it. I don't even remember what, we came to Birmingham in June, so we saw you then, but that's it. I mean, it's been a while.
0: Well, it may come as no surprise to you, you will not be the person in the Weddington family that I will be most excited to see.
1: (laughs) You're ready to see my spawn, see what I have created since you last saw me.
0: In fact, you are going to be third on that list.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, rightfully so. That that honestly is, is merited.
0: Yeah, well, and at least I know I'll be second on your list, so I'm one up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But we're talking about the convention, obviously, next weekend, and we can't wait to be there and hope to
0: see some listeners there, too. Absolutely. If you guys are going to be there and you hear a familiar voice or you see a shirt that says the Turkey Hunter podcast on it, it's probably me or Cameron. So please or stop and say hello.
1: I have, we have matching outfits for my family for one day at the convention. My sister-in-law made shirts, sure the gob father, the Godmother, and the gob daughter. <laughs> and we will be wearing those for one day at the convention. <laughs> They're pretty epic, I have to say.
0: That's pretty funny. I can't wait to see that.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're pretty funny. It, it's it's pretty good, but, but seriously, yeah, we'd love to see some folks there. So that'll be awesome. What is the change in the air? What I hope you're talking about?
0: Well, yeah, it is. But you know, <laughs> it's getting daylight earlier. Mm-hmm. It's getting dark a little later. Yep. Days are getting stretched out a little bit. It's. 60 and sunny absolutely beautiful very i can't even call it a wind just a gentle breeze maple trees are starting to bud a little bit
1: the guys on facebook who had a turkey strutting on their trail cam are posting about how they'll
0: be gobbled out everywhere (laughs) everywhere yeah that's part of the annual cycle (laughs) it is and yes, they will. They'll be gobbled out. So there's no need in going. Uh, uh, that's like I look forward to
1: February every year. That's part of why. Is is that the the, the I heard one gobble this morning. They're going to be done by season, man.
0: Yep, they uh, will be. There's no reason to even waste your time. I'd hit the hit the crappie hole.
1: Yep, time to start fishing.
0: Yes, indeed. <laughs> man, it's just getting there. I mean, you know, we're. A week, a little over a week into February, and milder than normal temperatures expected in the southeast this week. And man, they'll be, they will be strutting on some trail cameras this yeah. week. oh no and doubt. They don't they'll have start, a doubt. The
1: the Toms are probably starting to think about how they don't want to be buddies anymore. Oh that, yeah, that thought's starting to cross the mind of, huh? I don't know if I want to hang out with you guys anymore. So they're yep. going to start duking it out. Yep. And I'm hoping this warm weather gets the raccoon rut going so I can snag me some more in my traps, get them up and moving. I've heard warm weather is supposed to be better for raccoon catching.
0: What's the count?
1: Man, we're at 13 raccoons and four possums. So I've right. removed 17 nest predators and my traps are encompassing about 10 acres of the entire property so far. Yeah. I mean, I haven't even moved them. I've caught 17 in one spot. Yep. So I keep wanting to move them, but they keep coming. So, (laughs) well,
0: and you get them coming into an area, there's no reason to stop trapping them until you catch them all.
1: Yeah. I think this one might be the last one, finally. I had, he is the reason I hope it's why I had my camera still out because there was a family of five and I caught four of them and. There was one more, and I think I got him. He's sitting in the trap right now and will be disposed of after this phone call.
0: Yeah, you might be surprised. There's probably more than that one left in that area. But, hey, there's plenty of other areas. There's lots more raccoons, and I'm sure that you are as well. But I'm getting quite a few social media pictures of people with their nest predators.
1: Yeah, trapping... This year seems like it's really gained in popularity, which is fantastic. I think a lot of folks are out trying to trap some, and it's what it's going to take. Big joint effort to remove a lot of these predators from the whole landscape, and, and that's going to help. No doubt. I, when I just look at the fact that I put one trap down and I've caught eight raccoons out of one trap, I try to imagine if a hen had tried to nest right there and got rained on. What are the odds she's not going to get predated? or her eggs predated. Oh yeah. She's going to I mean has to happen. If eight raccoons are walking by one spot, she's done. So yep. I've been nailing them. If anybody's out there trapping, been nailing them on a half mini marshmallow and half catnip, not catnip, meow mix blend in the dog proof traps and then I put one large marshmallow on top as a freebie. And it's kind of an eye catcher that big white marshmallow. So it's it's interesting on my trail camera. I can see them grab the marshmallow, eat the big one, and then they're caught. So it works out pretty good.
0: You know, one day you're gonna get a trail pic, and you're gonna be like, "What in the world is Andy doing <laughs> caught in that trap?
1: Why is he roasting the big marshmallow on a small fire next to the trap?" <laughs>
0: I'm not much of a fan of meow mix, but you give me a marshmallow, man, and I'm in.
1: I think it's a good mix because the the meow mix has got kind of a fishy, you know, hearty smell to it. And then you got the sweets. So depending on what mood he's in, you got both for him.
0: There you go. A little buffet.
1: Yeah. I like that. I like them to have options.
0: Oh, yeah. No doubt. But, man. It's good stuff. You know, I was, I know you know this, but the listeners of the show don't know this. This is not. A quick interview with Denny Colvis today, and <laughs> You're I'm not lucky saying. It's not. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's gonna feel like it's a very quick interview with Denny Gulvis today. This is awesome. I mean, yeah, we got
1: everything in this one. Yeah, like, we have real live hen audio in here as a as a clip. You know, I mean, it. This guy, like, I thought, you know. No one on earth could love turkeys more than me. Denny Gulvis may have me beat. He, he may be as, as obsessed as you can get. When you don't even carry a gun anymore for, what, 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> and still go every day, year-round? Yeah. Incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, to heck with turkey season. He's out there now, weather permitting, Yeah, yeah. I recording mean, turkeys. He's out there in June recording turkeys.
1: It's an incredible story, and, and the things he says in this, some of it is very helpful in understanding turkeys, you know, and and their vocabulary. I mean, the guy is obsessed with the turkey vocabulary, and he's a world champion turkey caller, so that probably helps some too. But
0: yeah, if did you, you have it? Did you cut out the part where he gave the tip about the. Uh, and, and the uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, we we may have to cut that part out. That that's exactly right. That was pretty big time stuff. <laughs> no, but but really, Denny. If you haven't heard the name Denny Gulvis, you ought to go research it some. He's an NWTF Hall of Famer. But we tell you all this in the interview. Andy, why don't you tell us how long we have till turkey season, and then let's get in here and talk to Denny.
0: 43 days, 13 hours, 48 minutes, and 20 seconds. Mm.
1: We are 51 days, 13 hours, 11 minutes, and 26 seconds from turkey season here. Why don't we get in here, talk to Denny. We'll see you guys on the other side.
0: Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are excited to tell you that this evening we have with us Denny Gulvis who is the 1983, now he said he did this when he was three years old, but the 1983 Grand National Champion Turkey Collar. And he is an inductee into the NWTF Turkey Hunting Hall of Fame. That was in 2020. And not only that, but he's helped a few turkey hunters along the way come into their own right. And maybe somebody who knows a little something something about some turkey calling as well another competitive caller who's i don't know one one or five or six grand national championships meaning matt van size so cameron and i are just really excited to have denny on the phone with us you know we've you guys listening know that cameron and i are extremely passionate about wild turkeys and turkey hunting much like most of you guys and women who are listening to this show but um, i'm maybe a little embarrassed to say that denny might be on a different level so we'll find out we're going to dig in pretty deep with denny this evening so denny thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the show with us and if you don't mind Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and where you are this evening.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, the invitation to come on and talk with everyone and share some of the ideas that I've had, experiences I've had with wild turkeys over the years. Yes, I'm mm-hmm. from uh, Bois, Pennsylvania. It's about two hours north of uh, Pittsburgh.
0: just an average year for you how many days do you spend with wild turkeys that's a good
2: question I usually start and it's weather dependent Sure. usually start right around in January depending on the weather in January and I finish up filming turkeys probably right around the week of 4th of July something like that Mm. see I'm a filmmaker that's what I do I film the wild turkeys back in 1984 I made a decision and it was an interesting story I've told this a number of times I hunted just like everybody else. I had it with a gun and had a passion for it and shot a number of turkeys. And I just, I just couldn't get enough. I mean, the gun season just was too short for me. I couldn't, you know. And I, at that time, I was doing some still photography, too, I mean, doing beer and turkeys. And I was, you know, I was back I was only 20, 25 years, 28 years old or what it was. And uh, I couldn't get enough. So I, I told my wife, I said, well, I would love to be able to purchase. And, you know, we just, we just start the family. And I said, I would love to be able to purchase a video camera. Back then, video cameras were just kind of, were just coming out. My dad used to film on, a, on an old uh, 35 millimeter camera, you know, I mean, it was really old film, you know, I mean, and that kind of like maybe what kind of spark, sparked the interest in me. But, so I was able to purchase uh, a decent video camera, and uh, so I started going out, and I'll tell you what, I had some trouble. I had a lot of problems, you know, I mean... Because when I had it with a shotgun, you know, you'd call to a turkey, you'd, you know, you'd do all the, make the moves that was needed, you find the setups that was needed, and then I had a gobbler come in at 30, 35 yards, and you'd take the shot, and it's pretty much over. Mm-hmm. Well, when working with a camera, I found out that, wow, 30, 35 yards is, I've got to get him close. You know, that's no mm-hmm. good. You can see him out there, but it's not close enough. So,
3: yeah.
2: I had a hard time. I mean, it was really a whole, whole different ball game for me. And I can never, I'll never forget this, that I come home after a couple of instances and I told my wife, I said, wow, this is crazy. I said, I just, I just wish I could tell the turkeys that I'll never hurt them again. If they'll just come in and let me take their picture. Let me film them. And she just kind of <laughs> rolled her eyes. She knew I was nuts at that time. Anyhow. <laughs> She rolled her eyes, and uh, she says, you're losing your mind. I says, I'm telling you. I says, I will never hurt those turkeys again. I'll hang the turkey shotgun up, and I'll never, ever take it again if they would just let me film. And unbelievably, you guys, you would believe this. Within the next three months, two to three months, it was almost like somebody flipping a switch. I mean, I was within the next time out. I mean, I had gobblers coming up five yards, ten yards away from me, strutting all around me. And we just like, I couldn't believe it. And that was in 1984, and I never took the gun, never again and i have nothing against gunhan i don't have anything against it but i just love the camera because and it was the best decision personal decision that I ever made. And one of the main reasons is, well, there's a number of reasons, one of the main reasons is I've been able to learn so much more from the camera. It's a whole oh, different yeah. perspective. And the other thing is there's no seasons. That's what I said. I start in January and never end until the middle of summer until it gets so you know really hot, you know not much going on at that time. but there's no seasons. I've got you know all the time I can to go wherever. And but the biggest thing is working with a camera is, you know when you're when, anyway, we've all been there, and you're talking to a golfer and whatever it is, and you know, you go, after it's all done, you just all wound up about it and excited about it. But then when you go home, you, you you got a memory of it, but you forgot you forgot a lot about it. You didn't see a lot of things happening. But going back and being able to review the film wow! I couldn't believe. I mean, I couldn't believe what look at this. I didn't, I, I didn't remember this happening. I didn't, hear, you know, wow, I didn't listen. I didn't hear that. Wow, I got it again. So, so for me, it's been an incredible experience. I can't even tell you how many, I mean, I've got volumes and volumes and volumes of hunts and films. And, uh, when I, back in 1984, as I said, you know, those three months and four months, I kind of sparked a real interest in, wow, I wanted to, maybe I should put together a, a video because right at that time, videos, there was only one or two, maybe on Turkey. I'm not even sure there was even any out there on Turkey hunting. Yeah. and. Uh, I told my wife, I said, I would like to put some of this together, you know, because I was doing seminars at that time, too. That was kind of like right when I was ending in Turkey Calling contests, And I had to make a decision. I had to either stop Turkey Calling Contest if I was going to this video business and, you know, making videos. So that's what I decided to do. And uh, I, uh, back when I made my first, first video come out in 1985, and, and those, those hunts, those films that were on that video in my first one called Spring Hunting One, were some of those ones that i just spoke about those ones were almost like the flip; the the switch was flipped when the turkey just kind of like they heard me and knew that i wasn't gonna hurt anymore i mean it was incredible so that's that's a true story and um to this day i've never i've never taken another gun i've never taken a gun and i have nothing against it my family my whole my you know my son everyone my wife you know i a gun but you know it for me personally it was just the greatest decision the best decision i've ever made
0: that's that's very cool So, just, I guess, kind of a very random question, but something I think a lot of listeners would want to know, and I want to know the answer. What is, you don't have to know the the exact date, but what is the latest date that you have seen a gobbler breed a hen in Pennsylvania?
2: The latest date? You mean during the summer? Yes. Oh, my. You know, be it, you know, the reason, one of the main, like I said, and you'll see as we talk tonight, I'm I'm obsessed with hands. I'm obsessed with hands and their voices, communication of the wild turkey, and hands to me are everything. I mean, I've learned so much from the hands. So when our season ends right around Memorial Day here in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. June to me is really good for hand talk. And a lot of people might shake their head and say, wow, I can't believe that. You know, some hands are on nests or not. But no, that's not always. we the case because there's a lot of barren hens out there that aren't nesting uh, or maybe had their nest destroyed or whatever it is and Mm -hmm. you're coming in the first second week of June and third week of June like this you know uh, when everybody thinks oh it's all gone but I've seen and heard things unbelievable. I mean, it's just like it carries on. And there's no switch for them. You know, I mean, they're going to, as long as they're receptive hens out there, the gobbler's going to, you know, they're going to be around those hens. And as long as they want to lay down for them, the gobbler's going to mate with them. And I've seen yeah. it all the way in toward the, you know, right in towards the end of June. I mean, close to the end of June, gobbler's with wow. hens for them. And, I mean, it's going on and on. But what I do, like in June, what I was saying, one of the nicest things is some of those hens that have, you know, their, their, uh, barren hens that have nested or whatever, they're anxious to get back together because turkeys are very, you know, I'm sure you know this, turkeys are very gregarious. They just like to be in a group. So most of the time, a lot of these hens have been maybe spent 26, 28 days on the nest there or whatever it might be and haven't been around other birds for a while. So they're looking for company. And mm-hmm. a lot of times I can get some of these hens started in those in that month of June and I've got some incredible, really nice end talk throughout the month of June. So, And, you know, I do it right up, like I said, until around the 4th of July and it gets really wicked out because it's hard to film then because our, our foliage and vegetation is really thick and then the bugs are off and, it's really, in the heat especially, but I've had some incredible experiences at that time. But as to answer your question, a gobbler will, you know, a gobbler's interested in a, in a hen right up, you know, right up through that month of June, even into July somewhat, I mean. And as for gobbling, I hear gobbling all, I'm sure many of you guys exactly know. The gobbling, I hear it all throughout the year. I mean, it's, you know, during the fall, they're one deer hunting or anytime, you know, I've got gobblers to gobble. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can hear a gobbler lightning. Thunder is probably one of the best locating calls there is. You know, it's kind of an interesting story. Years ago when my brother and I used to film together and even hunt together, we used to say, boy, if we could have something that would sound like thunder, because we knew that thunder was a great, it don't matter what time of year when there's a big thunder clap somewhere, man, every gobbler in the area you just kind of can't help them and gobble, they gobble out. You know, it could be in yeah. it could be in September and they gobble out the thunder. And I thought, boy, if we could just, we used to make a joke about it. We had a big, maybe, maybe we got a big roll of tin, hand or something and shook me in the back of the truck or something like that. I mean, <laughs> we
3: had
2: some crazy ideas at the time, but yeah, the fun is definitely, I mean, that really gets them going. And the, the gobblers will gobble, I, I mean, all through the year. And I've had them actually just a couple of months ago. I was watching gobblers uh, strutting around each other and fighting just like they were in the spring. I mean, so they're... I mean there's no there's no specific law. And that's one thing about turkeys. You're never ever gonna hear me say the turkeys will do this or they won't do that because I found out that you can stick your foot in your mouth and you do that because as we touched on earlier, turkeys are so unpredictable. They themselves don't know what they're gonna do in the next five minutes. And that's what's cool. And I've heard many people say, Well, a turkey's gonna do this every time or a turkey's gonna say this every time and I kind of laugh at that because it's not, no way, I mean, no way they're going to make it, they can make a fool out of you as soon as you say something like that. And that's, that's one, that's the biggest thing about it. I mean, that's what keeps us going. I mean, that unpredictability of never knowing what they're going to do. You've always learned something every single time you go out there in the turkey woods. That's, that's what's so unbelievably nice.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, if that wasn't the case, I don't think they would be called wild turkeys.
2: That's correct. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Some people correlate to, well, with turkeys. You know, a turkey is you know, like a farm turkey, and some of them thinking they're, you know, I mean they're dumb. I mean, I've seen, you yeah. know, I raised turkeys for many years. I raised them there. I don't raise them now, but I used to raise them, and I've seen them do some crazy things. You know, and they weren't tame turkeys. I mean, they were they were a strain of wild turkeys. But I mean, giving for instance, you know, you could have a turkey. Uh, I've seen them come to fences that maybe a fence two feet higher or two and a half feet higher. and they could easily fly over top of it. But they would walk back and forth on that fence, <laughs> trying to get through the fence. Until their feathers would come off their chest, they can't figure out that they can jump over top of them. I mean, I've seen turkeys do that a number of times. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so crazy how you know they, they can't think like we think, you know, like we think, but they are so wary. I mean, that's the thing. Everybody says, "Oh, a turkeys so smart," you know. I mean, they're not really smart, but they're super wary because everything from the time they've hatched out of the egg throughout their whole life. Something's after them all the time, and they've come to me, I mean, they know that, and that's yeah. how they live their life. Something you can imagine if if everything was after you, just think how, how jumpy we would be at everything. I mean, that's basically the same thing with the wild turkey. No that?
0: doubt, no doubt about that at all. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything more frustrating than a single strand of barbed wire between me and a <laughs> gobbling wild turkey in the spring. Isn't
2: that the truth? Isn't that one, the truth? I else?
0: mean, one wire. You can't figure out how to get over, under, around that one wire?
2: That's amazing. Isn't that amazing how they just, they can't think, they can't decipher. They can't decipher information <laughs> like that. You know, that's really amazing to me. But It's like it's again, a the Great
0: Wall of China.
2: And they can make a fool out of us every single day, though. Isn't that? Oh, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Like night and day sometimes. But yes, indeed. Like I said, I raised wild turkeys way back. You know, when I used to, it's kind of an interesting story back then, too. i uh, I've told this several times. I had a, a, a relative. Uh, I was just way back when I was just out of high school. I was really starting to get into turkeys and didn't know anything about them. And I, I didn't even know that my relative raised wild turkeys. He "Oh yeah, he's really, he really knows turkeys and everything." So I got to know him really well, and he took, you know, he He, he, he took me under his wing right away. He became my mentor. And I mean, he raised wild turkeys, and I couldn't get enough time. I mean, he had a pen there, nobody else that I ever knew had turkeys. And I used to spend hours down there with him. We were listening to the birds and we talked to him. And back then, he was making turkey calls, mouth diaphragm calls, at the time. And uh, I was just kind of learning about the mouth diaphragm calls. So him and I kind of got together and we started developing some different things about the calls. But it was really neat because he had a what we call a turkey room up about 40 yards from where the turkey pen was. And back then, all you had is cassette players. You might remember those, uh, maybe you don't. I mean, uh oh, yeah. they called boom boxes. And. Yeah. We had, we had used to have a couple of those boom boxes, and we used to run like 40-foot of cord with microphone cords and put it down in the pen, put the microphone in the pen, and we'd run it all the way up into what we called the turkey room, where we'd sit all the time. And then we could play and just set it on pause and play and record, and you could hear every single thing that was going on at the pen. And whenever one of the hands would start talking or the gobblers, whatever, we would just hit the record button. And we, we learned a lot, a lot of stuff. I mean, I spent a lot of time with those wild turkeys, and that's kind of like what we got in the turkey calling contest, too. Uh, Bob knew a little bit about turkey calling contests. that was new to me. and He, uh, he decided, well, let's, let's start working on the calls. We'll be down. We're going to try to do what those turkeys are doing down there. So that's kind of like well, we got, you know, we tried to develop calls and sounds that sounded, you know, similar to what they're doing. And we tried to get as close as what this We're talking way back in 1975, 76, you know, and that's a long time ago. But very few people were, were into it as much. You know, there were a few good turkey hunters out there. But most times, you know, those turkey hunters were kind of tight-lipped. He didn't want to tell you anything. So I was lucky to have this guy take me under his wing because a lot of those guys took a lot of information to their grave. That was just the way it was back then. You know, and it, was, it was so interesting. But I got into Turkey calling and started practicing with a call and he says, I'll let you know when it's time. And we worked on different sounds and everything. And one of the things we really tried to develop is what he called the gruff call. Because when we sat down at the 10, we would listen to some of the older hands whatever. They had a throaty sound to them, a resonant sound I call a resonant throaty now. Back then, mm-hmm. he called it a bluff call, and I'm sure you're familiar with what I'm, what I'm talking about. And we tried to duplicate that on a call, and we tried to actually develop the calls and make it as close as we could to that. And that's what I tried to work with. you know. And so after, oh, I don't know, I think it was a couple of years, finally, he says, okay, he says, I think you might be ready for a turkey calling contest and I'd never been to a turkey calling contest. i had no idea what was going on, you know, and back then we didn't have internet you know, you didn't have internet or anything, you know, and you could talk to people on the phone, and that's about it. Yeah. So I'll never forget going to the first part or the first turkey calling contest. Bob went with me, my wife went with me, and a couple of our friends uh, went also, turkey hunting friends. We went up to uh, Potato City and in Potter County, Pennsylvania. I'll never forget it. And it was a turkey calling contest and the big names were there. Ben Lee was there, the Rome brothers were there, Rob Cat. You know, big-name turkey callers, mm-hmm. And I was shaking in my boots. I mean, you know, I, I got to get up on that stage and make sounds, you know, make these sounds. And I got to make a yelp. I got to make a clock, a whistle, a key, key You know, I got to do that. And I knew how to do it, but, you know, it's a whole different world. I'll never forget this. My wife was sitting next to me there, and uh, Ben was there, Ben Lee. And I uh, went up on stage when it was time for me. They called my number to go up, and I went up, and I went through my routine and I was you know I was scared naturally scared and shaken but I, I kind of knew what I wanted to put together so I, I did the best I could and I worked with that kind of that rough call you know that rough resonant type sound which was so different from what everybody else was doing at that time nobody was doing that but I knew from the turkeys you know I mean we, we listened to turkeys so much we knew that hens do that sound and I'll never forget this when I come down off the stage I was glad to get down off the stage my routine was all done and I sat down next to my wife and she's sitting in the middle of the crowd and I said well what do you think she just looked at me and says, "That guy sitting over here beside me just said you that guy sound like a duck <laughs> and i almost passed out i mean i literally almost passed out i thought oh no did i make a fool out of myself and i looked over at bob and he was sitting about 20 20 yards away from me there him and Hank. and he just looked at me and he winked and i'll never forget that and i thought holy jesus maybe i didn't do so bad and unbelievably i come in second place and you know i'm in second place and that got that, that sparked everything right there and from that point on i just uh kept trying to develop different sounds, doing, you know, we worked on the calls and I was able to enter contests throughout the country. And uh, it was really a lot of fun at that time. And back then it was different, you know, back then money wasn't involved. And money kind of, you know, you get money and everything, it changes everything. There was very few call companies out there and we just loved to go, you know, and everybody had so much fun that while would be able to have a little trophy, you get a, a foot high trophy with a turkey on it. Like that was a big deal. Wow. Mm-hmm. Won that, you know, it just won this, I was lucky to win the state contest a couple times and it took me it took me across the country. You know, I was able to call, go you know, go across the country, following Turkey Calling contests, state contest, national contest and it was just a, a great time. You know, I mean back then turkey calling contests were really a lot of fun. There was no money involved pretty much and you know, you get a you got a trophy, you know, that was maybe a foot high with a turkey on it, it was like, Wow. You know that was a really as neatest thing there is. You know, but now it's it's a little bit different. Even though turkey calling contests are really are still pretty big and they're really interesting, I feel. I mean, turkey calling contests. I love them because one of the nicest things about turkey calling contests is that they uh, they keep you kind of in tune. You know what I mean? It, It it has a you know keeps everybody a lot of times the guys will put their calls away at the end of the turkey season and don't pick them up again. Well, you're, you know, if you're interested in turkey calling contests, wow, you know, you're going to spend more hours and hours. than some of the guys on the stage They they spend hours and hours throughout the year developing yeah. different sounds and, and working with their calls.
0: Yeah, we've interviewed several of them over the years. And they do, almost every single one of them will tell you, they spend an hour to two hours a day, at least mm-hmm. a day. And that's what it takes. Practicing.
2: And that's exactly what it takes. Yeah. Of course, it's yeah. like anything else you think about it, I mean, you got your baseball players, basketball, football, I mean, everybody, if you're really passionate about that sport, you know, you're going to spend as much time and the best guys are the ones, you know, the more you, it's like anything else, the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. And, uh, but I'm obsessed with the birds. I mean, I'm obsessed with their communications because some of the things that I've been able to see and witness and hear, I've been very fortunate. And I, And they're like, they're so much like us. You know, we really don't realize that. But whenever they speak, see, people think that turkeys call just to be heard. I mean, you know, just to make a sound. But that's not it. Every time a turkey calls, there's a reason the turkey calls. He or she is saying something. They're speaking just like you and I are talking right now. Nowhere near as complex as our language. But the more that I've time that I've spent so much with these turkeys now, I find out that they're actually speaking to each other. They're saying different things. And that's, that's the part that's so interesting. You know, as a turkey hunter, the turkey hunter goes out there and, you know, he makes a turkey call, whatever it might be a box call, slate call, diaphragm call, whatever, and then he just kind of waits for a reply. But, you know, someone who really understands the language, and this is what I've been really, really focusing on the last several years, is that I'm actually, you know, the turkeys are saying something to each other, just like you and I. They've got questioning sounds, they've got questioning calls. They've got excited calls. You know, it's almost you can get hit. like just, you know, a good turkey hunter that knows turkeys today, when you're out in the woods and you stop and you're getting ready to call, most guys just blow out a call or whatever it might be or scratch out a call. But really they don't think about what might be needed at that time, you know. And I'll think about it a little bit. Do I want to ask a question? Am I looking for someone? Am I lost? Do I want to tell everybody to come on over here? And You know, it's endless. It's just like you and I. But in the little inflections that you learn, to put into the call actually convey those messages it's like you and i now if i said to you i said andy I, if i would ask you a question like andy what are you doing tonight you could see that there was a lot of inflection in that in what i just said or hey andy where are you at you know hey andy where you at you hear all that okay now let's go robotically and go hey andy where are you at see how much difference that is The turkeys do exactly the same thing. They put inflections in their sound, in their calling. So those inflections are recognized by other turkeys. And I found out that the more that you know, the more that you can learn about these inflections and how to speak like the turkey, it's incredibly, incredibly different in the woods than how you can actually get into a conversation. But there's only one way to learn. And the only way to learn is from the wild turkey itself. And that's what I do. I mean, I do it, and there's many guys now in the contest, too. But to listen to turkeys all the time, you know, it, it's something that just it gets in your blood. And, you know, if you're fortunate to have a lot of good recordings, to listen to the birds and good recordings, I mean, there's so much going on out there whenever they speak. And that's so, you know, so productive in turkey hunting, very productive. But you've got to yeah. listen to the birds. And when I, you know, I've had many guys say, well, yeah, I listen to turkeys, I listen. But they don't really hear when they listen. You know, there's a, there's a difference between listening and hearing because there's a lot going on. Because, you know, several years ago, there was manufacturers come out with, you know, with the recordings of turkeys. And one guy, I can remember a couple guys said to me, oh, that's a bunch of turkeys talking back and forth. But if you really sat and listened with headphones or whatever it is, and if you really pay attention, you hear this hen and she's talking to this gobbler, or this hen's talking to that hen. I mean, there's conversations going on. You're not hearing. See, I don't hear just a bunch of turkeys talking. I hear conversations. This hen's talking to that hen and whatever it might be. And all that stuff is so important to try to learn. But it's so similar to our language. It's very similar. So when I get out there now, you know, I think what might what a hen might do right now before I start talking to a gobbler. What would she might want to say to that golfer? You know, I mean, or whatever. And then if he speaks back to me or if he answers me, I'll talk. I'll actually talk to him. If I start walking toward him to him turkeys have what we call a walking yell. i've learned that over the years and there's there's a there's a sound that a hen does while she's walking towards a gobbler or she's walking to another bird it's kind of like a almost like a monotonous like a it, it, many guys have heard this it's, it's just a stand it's kind of a straight and it goes up and down in inflection. And while she's walking she might be putting her head up and down and up and down and, and just by doing that the gobbler thinks that the hen's coming to her and all that you know if I locate a gobber two hundred yards away or three hundred yards away across the woods, I won't go. A lot of times, I will, I'll actually become a hen, and that's huge. Try to become a hen and actually walk to the gobber. And a real hen walking to the gobber is going to talk to the gobber sometimes. So this walking type yelp—imagine how much what the gobber thinks when he hears that. Here's his hen; she's coming to him, and he knows that walking yelp. He knows what that's like. So you know the advantages are—they're huge. You know, naturally, they're going to walk right up on the gobber and get closer to him with this walk and Yelp, if you decide to do that and there's cutting too you got some cutting calls and clocks every one has a different meaning for you know for a specific purpose and a lot of guys don't really you don't understand I
0: have, have a diaphragm I was just about to ask no
2: I, I don't no I don't have because to be honest with you if I tried to call on the phone right now you wouldn't be able to the phone speaker yeah. the phone microphone is not capable of really picking up Because I have a lot of guys call me and try to call on the phone, and I just try to tell them there's no use even doing it because it cuts off and everything like that. But but, uh, there's a lot of different calls that turkeys do. Go ahead.
1: Do they have? So I've listened to Lovett Williams has some CDs with turkey calls on them, and Mm -hmm. he states that there is no love call of the turkey hen. Do you think there is a mating call of a turkey hen?
2: That's an excellent question. I used to talk about that in some of my seminars. And one of the things that I found out, you know, and they're mostly the gobber, the gobble of the wild turkeys is used to attract the hen to them. And, yeah. a lot of, you know, a lot of people think, well, there isn't a sound that a hen does to actually call a a gobbler, but it gets way back to the old timers. You know, we kind of like, a lot of people look down on some of the old timers, but you got to remember back in the, those old days, you had to learn everything by yourself. You know what I mean? As I said, yeah. you know, back then, nobody wanted to share any, any information and, and Here's an interesting story before I carry on with that. I'll show you how crazy that was at that time, back in the 70s and 80s, when everybody, nobody, everybody, whenever turkey hunters talked, they, they, they whispered. That's all they did. I mean, they whispered. Remember Bob? That Bob was the guy that I told you, my mentor. He would call me up after a day of scouting or hunting or whatever it is, and I'd answer the phone, and the first thing he'd say to me is, who's there with you? I'd say, well, mm-hmm. my wife Karen's there. Why, listen, he said, nobody else is there, right? <laughs> I said, no. He said, I said, why? What's going on? He says, hey, I seen a garbler track on Well 76 today. He says, I scratched it out. Don't tell nobody. And that's how it was. That's I how it, it was. I tell my, I tell my boys yeah. about it now. I tell people about it and they just laugh about it. You know, oh, you got to be kidding me. You know, and that's how it was back then. And a lot of guys took a lot of information to their graves. But back to the hen, the hen mating call, I don't really believe there's an actual mating call that a hen actually says to a garbler when she's ready to mate for sure, but I have found out that they have – way back years ago when people – used to, like some, there was a few books written. I'm sure probably you read a few of them. Some of the old-timers said that, that all you had to do was sit down, get into a good position, get into a good setup position, and make three calls. Make just three elves at a clock maybe and just sit down tight and let the garber come. You know, there's a lot of merit to that because I've listened to hens and watched so many hens over the years, you know, and I've seen a hen has kind of like – and it's almost like that questioning sound that I was talking about earlier – When a hen's like walking through the woods or whatever, and she's kind of if she might be interested in company, she has a questioning call, and it's it's almost like a yep 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 yep. It's just a little inflection at the end, and it's only maybe three to four notes. So maybe maybe that I believe that that is partially, and it's not a mating call where the gobbler's going to come running in or anything like that. It's almost a conversation starter, you know what I mean? But they don't really have from what I an actual like a gobble when a gobbler. Gobble, gobber, gobbles. One of the main reasons he gobbles is to let the hens know where he's at, and then the hens are supposed to go to them. When we, for those of you who don't really know about turkeys that much, we kind of twist that completely around. When we're hunting, we're trying to call the gobber to him, and he's used to having the gobbers come to him when he gobbles. That's what, that's what they're used to. So that's why as soon as he hears a hen talking to him, and she's not coming to him when he's used to, that's when he, some of these older golfers who have been around for a few, several years and maybe had some babies in them, they know. I mean, they start, uh-oh, why ain't she coming to me? You know, I've been in this situation before, and that's, that's some of the reluctant golfers you're running to today. You know, that's where you got to go into that next, you got to reach in that bag of tricks and pull out things from experiences you learned over the years, you know, but, we're actually switching it around. You know, we're trying to call the gobbler to us, but he's trying to call the hen to him. That's what he normally does, and he knows he will go to a strutting zone or whatever it is, and that's where he usually meets the hens, you know, whatever. Usually it's an opening in the woods or a field or a gas well or whatever it might be, Where we call strutting zones where they spend most of the day, you know, the hens will be feeding and a gobbler will strut throughout the day trying to impress that hen in the mating. But uh, I don't really believe that there is, you know, uh, an action. I know. I know there is no actual, you know, a, a hand call, but that three and three- to four note questioning like, hey, I'm over here or, every, you know, over here, that kind of like piques his interest. And it's only a, maybe a three or four, you know, most callers today are running 25, 30 yelps in a row and a bunch of cuts and everything like that. And, that, you know, that excited talk is good, too. But we overlook some of the most important calls there are and that's the light talk. I mean, I've seen things. I've had things happen. I've, I've been able to switch situations completely around with natural light talk, and I've learned that from the birds themselves. So, you know, when I started filming, you know, like I said, how many years ago, back in 1984, about 22 years ago now, I took a specialty to uh, film in the roof segments, what I call roof segments, and this is where I'll, I'll get up and try to get in 3.30, 3 3.00, o'clock, 3.30 in the morning and try to find turkeys on the roofs in the dark, and then I'll get in and I'll set up my camera, i'll set up a microphone on my left i'll set up a microphone on my right you've got a segment there that i just recently sent you it's called the pine hen and it's a segment that duplicates or it, it exactly explains what what i do you can, you know you can hear it there you might even play it for your audience there if you get a chance yeah. to edit it in there but uh we'll, we'll I'll insert set
1: up that now on. for y'all to hear and then come back and let denny tell y'all about that segment so here is the pine hen segment that denny recorded <laughs>
2: could hear a number of different voices, but what did you really hear in there? Did you hear the conversations going on? You could hear this hen yeah. talking to that hen. You listen closely, you'll hear a gobbler in there, too, every once in a while, a gobbler yelping in there. And that was one of the first segments that I did way back 22 years ago, that pine hen segment, and I shared it with a couple of people. And that's what really piqued my interest. And I'll tell you, the biggest thing about one of the main reasons I do this and spend so much time with it is that it reveals what I call the natural social talker of the wild turkey mm. that's so different from what we see today like we've got youtube you can go on youtube and you could go and you know put in hen talk or turkey hen talking and you're gonna get a number of different hens talking but here's the thing one of the things about that is usually in those situations the hen's coming in stressed in some way maybe she's mad maybe she, she's lost or whatever it is but there's very very few things on youtube where you actually get into a scenario where you get actual hens talking to hens and hens talking to gauvers. And I found out that being able to sit underneath these roosts, these turkeys wake up early morning, and then the period after evening to fly down and after on the ground, some of that social talk is some of the most important stuff that a hunter could learn. Absolutely. Because that's what the turkeys are used to doing and hearing. The gobblers are used to hearing that stuff. And if you can convey it the way they do, wow, what an advantage. Can you imagine? So that's what I do. and I And I do that from January, depending on the weather, because you can't really sneak under the loose when you got, like I've got 11 inches of snow out there right now. I mean, you can't hardly do it right now because it, you got to be almost like a church mouse. You got to quietly sneak under these turkeys. I can tell you of so many experiences that I've had over the hundreds and the hundreds of such situations that I've been in. I mean, turkeys, everybody thinks a turkey just sits up in the tree and sleeps. <laughs> they don't sleep the sound as you think they do. I mean, they're aware of every little sound that goes on underneath them. You know, I mean, they, I've seen turkeys that are, I mean, I've, I've heard gobbers at 2 o'clock in the morning, 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning in the, in the middle of the spring season. They're strutting on a limb. I mean, they don't even, I don't know how they keep going, to be honest with you, throughout the season. I mean, it <laughs> seems like they never sleep. They're strutting on a limb. I've got recordings of it. I've seen it. And, you know, I mean, they've been strutting two hours before it even got light out. But that wow. social talk that you learn from early in the morning on the roof like that is some of the most beneficial by far. And that's one of the things I concentrate more on now. I just love it. I've got some incredible segments. Incredible segments.
1: That's I can't imagine trying to slip under the roost, yeah, with 11 inches of snow. It sounds impossible. But one thing, since you, you're you one of the first people I've talked to that's a guru on the hens, and like you're like, hey, I'm focusing on hens here. And so one question I wanted to ask you, what I've heard two camps on this, calling hens into your position. I know you just said you like to get in and hear them naturally start up. But if you wanted to call a hen to your position, I've heard, half the people say you try to mimic her and make her mad and another half says you try to just be very soft and social if, if you were to try to call a hen to you how would you go about it
2: that's a great question absolutely a great question you know what you got to do you got to read the situation every single hen is different every situation is different you know and you never know what every every time and a hen can as we talked about before a hen's mood changes all the time same with a gaubert a hen's mood changes naturally you'll say well and I've said this in my videos when I did it, and all the times I've the seminars. You know, it, the nicest thing if you can is to kind of jump, you know, get her aggravated at you and get her mad at you. So she's she's out there and she's kind of controlling what that golfer's going to do. That galber's going to be standing right beside her, strutting around her. So he, she's pretty much controlling everything. So if you can get her attention and have her come to you then naturally that's a big advantage. Well, how do you get her attention? One of the best ways, if you can and this is by far, like I said, it all, it's all depends on the situations. So a lot of times I'll talk on to that hen. I'll talk on to her. So if I can get her to answer me, I'll jump right on her. You know, it's like, it's like us. Again, we all, it all falls back in our similar to our language. Because if you're talking on, you know, if you get, you get in an argument with somebody, you know, and, and you try to talk over talk of them, it just upsets the person more than what, you know what I mean? So that same thing can happen to a, while, to a wild hen. So if she starts to talk back to me, I'll jump right on top of her with maybe some fast cuts or whatever it is, maybe some lottery yelps what she's doing, and try to get her going. Now, if that don't, if she don't react to that, then I know that I've got to do something different. So then maybe I'll get a little bit more quiet, you know, a little bit more contented or whatever it is. But every hen, you've got to read that situation. There's a number of different sounds you can do to them too. You know, you got your excited yelps. Every there's a lot of different as I talked about before. There's a lot of different sounds that you can make to the birds to get them going too. But the the, the most In most cases, like I said, you try to read the situation, and the only way to read the situation, you want to start that conversation. One thing that I found out, for sure, this is really interesting, and you don't hear this very talked about very much, but in all the years that I've been spinning with these hands and stuff like this, I have found out that turkeys know each other like you and I do in an area. They know each other. They know each other through their voices, and they know each other through their personalities. That is unbelievable, and that is amazing to me. You know, I mean, I've seen situations. I mean turkeys when they this hen will know that hen this gobbler will know that gobbler. I mean they're, and they and they know it in their voices, you know. And if I, I'll give you an example of that. I when I go to some of these roosts, a lot of times I'll go back in the same areas from year to year, and they might be all, you know, they might be a mile away or half a mile away. They might be roost in different places, but when I go back, I can go back to like 2018 and. I can hear hens that I remember in 2018, or voices, because I'm paying so much attention to how they're talking, that I remember specific hens. I remember their voices, and it hits me right away. Wow, I, so if I can do that, just think how turkeys do that. But I know oh, that yeah. turkeys, they, they know each other's voices, like you and I. They start to yeah. know each other, and, they, and that makes sense to us. You know, I mean, that really does make sense, because if they live together, you know, and every yeah. hen has a little bit of a different voice somewhat, and every gobbler is a little bit different. And, you know, that's another thing that brings up a question. You know, one of the things, what's, what's one of the things that we really all had a question mark on our head? Why do gobblers gobble on some days? And why do they gobble? On? And if you people back in that same area on the same kind of day, whether, and why do they make a sound? I mean, that's, you know, one of the things that I've, I've studied this and really, really try to pay attention to it. And I, I'm not sure, by far, I'm not sure. That's what I said earlier. There's never, you know, never everything. You're never going to know everything, by far you learn something every time. But one of the things I'm finding out is that I feel that gobbers in an area know who the boss of the area is. They know. And they kind of like rely on him to tell them what to do. And I think that in some places, as soon as that boss gobber, that one who leads the area, the most dominant gobbler who leads that whole area, if he opens up, gobbers will start to follow him. They can start to follow him. And turkeys, when they're on a roost early in the morning, you know, turkeys can hear. They have an unbelievable sense of hearing i mean people don't give them the credit what they deserve on on hearing they can hear so far so when they're up 45 feet in the air on a you know early morning five o'clock in the morning when it you know, there's a there's a time of morning when it's just like everything is quiet right then and those turkeys can hear a long way. So, you know, one gobber in an area will start and he might be the boss gobber and sometimes maybe another one will fly way over the boss gobber and he might hit. Next thing you know you got this gobber hit and pretty soon you got gobber in the morning. And then, then you go back the next day and if that gobber for whatever reason, whatever it might be, maybe something happened to him on the roost, Maybe he just has a you know, it's like us, they're like us. Maybe he don't feel as good today. You know, so we just don't want to talk. I've seen gobblers, I've I've filmed gobblers on the roost, and it's comical. I've actually watched gobblers stick their neck out, oh, like, let's say, a crow would fly over or an owl or something. I've actually watched them stick their neck out trying to gobble, and they, they can gobble. They would hold it back. They would hold it back. They want to gobble, but they don't want to gobble. You understand? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's it's comical to watch that, but I I kind of believe that gobblers in an area somewhat dictate on what's going to go, what goes on in there, and that, that's, Part of one of the reasons why, you know, goblers will be gobbling like crazy one morning and next morning you don't hear a sound. The same with the hands. I see the same thing with the hens. You know, the hens. Once an old hen gets started here and this hen recognizes that hen, and, you know, pretty soon they got a conversation going. I've been under a lot of roosts where I thought, wow, everything is, you know, as you said, you can't imagine how difficult it is to do this in the dark. You know, I've, I've actually probably walked more in the dark. Than I have in the daytime in the last 20 years, trying to find turkeys on a roost like that. It's really, but I love it because there's not a greater feeling to get underneath a roost of turkeys and look up and you can just see these blobs in the dark right above you. Because when you look up in the sky, unless it's the dark of the moon period, when there's no moon at all, and there's that period when you can't even see your hand in front of your face, you can actually see dot and blots, blobs in the tree where they're at. You try to sneak in there, like I said, as a quiet as a church mouth making. and you break one stick and you can change that whole situation. You can change everything. So you got to make sure that you don't. And I try not to use the flashlight. I mean, I just use a real little, I have a real, real little small one that goes in my hand. And I just, just every once in a while, I just give it a quick one, just make sure there's not a branch to step on. But once I get into position, mm-hmm. then one I pick out the tree, and then I've got to actually run. I run 25 foot of microphone on my left. I run 25 foot of microphone on my right so that I can get a stereo sound effect. And once I get in, it's just like, wow, this is fantastic. Now you just keep your fingers crossed. and Hope they're in a talkative mood. Sometimes they don't make a sound. They come out of that roost and not even with a sound. But got some great stuff over the years.
1: <laughs> but that yeah. that would make sense. Times when you change calls to a gobbler, all of a sudden it fires him up. Maybe you hit a call that sounds like a local hen to him.
2: That's. Exactly. You hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly what it is. That's why it's so important for anybody, a serious caller today, to be familiar with your call so that you can make it sound like a number of different birds because they all have mm-hmm. little, little, I mean, little things in their tones and their voice and little things. Everyone's a little bit different. They all sound like wild turkeys. All hens sound like wild turkeys, but everyone's a little bit different to an extent. And if a gobbler is with a hen for a day or two, he knows her voice. He knows her and he likes her. I mean, you know, he, he, he's glad to be all of a sudden, oh, there she is right there. So if you you continue with the same sound over and over again, sure, you can kill turkeys. You're going to call gobbers in, but you get that gobber out there who's a little bit leery. That's why when I go, I probably carry, I carry at least 35 different my, diaphragm calls with me. And, and the calls that I make, each one of them, each one of them I can do three different ten, three to four different hand sounds in each call, and I've got 35 different calls, so there's a lot of different sounds that I've worked with over the years, and sometimes you just hit the right one, as you said, and that gobber recognizes it, or that hen recognizes it, and wow, you can change the situation right around. I mean, I've had situations where, you know, not a bird was talking, and all of a sudden, I just had a specific hen, I'd hit her, and she knows me, but for whatever reason, and she starts, the next thing I start, and we're back and forth in a conversation, next thing you got a gobber down there gobbling, and then, you know, it's, wow, you got everything <laughs> Lights up where nothing was going on five minutes ago or ten minutes ago. <laughs> that's the well, fun of it all.
0: That's, I, I thought I carried a lot of calls to the woods. Thirty-five <laughs> diaphragms.
2: <laughs> that's
0: that's yeah, strong.
2: I'm a little bit. A little bit obsessed, a little bit. Of, you can ask my wife. That's what I said to you earlier. I mean, my wife will tell you just how kind of crazy. I actually, I actually wonder myself, well, I'm not a mental word over this. I mean, it's like I said, I do this every single day. If I'm not filming, I've got the capability. I've got a computer system and a sound system here that is absolutely unbelievable. And some of the some of the technology today just amazes me. And I've been able to learn so much from my films and some of the other films that are out there. Where I can bring up on the screen, I can bring up five different hands calling at one time. And you can't believe on how much you can learn in a situation like that. And one thing I'm really learning, though, is I said, every hen has a little bit different sound, but they all have a what I call a voice characteristic, and that is incredible. I mean, you can, you know, I might I might hear this hen and she has a, what I call a throaty yelp, a resonant throaty, and then you hear another one a little bit higher yelp. And when you hear them singly, you say, ah, she's, you know, okay, I hear her and I know what this sound. now, nah, they don't sound nowhere near. But when you when you actually put this hen together with that hen and have the capability of being able to put both of them together like that, you would be unbelievable. I mean, I've opened my eyes up on stuff. I'm thinking, wow, this is incredible. You know, they, how similar they are. They're, they have what I call a voice characteristic. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I've got probably 3,000 different hens on my computer system, from films that I've filmed over the years, from YouTube segments, or whatever it is. I've got every time the hen was talking, whatever, I want to hear it, and I record it or whatever, I save it. And this is the craziest thing. Out of those 3,000 hens that I have, Every single hen, to me, sounds like a real hen. And that is incredible. No matter how it was recorded, it could be recorded on a cheap microphone or a phone or whatever it is. And here's the opposite side of that. You know, I've had the opportunity to be around the best callers in the world. I've, I've judged them. I've been to calling contest all my life. And I have yet to hear one guy that I would mistake in the woods for a wild turkey. That is belief, That is almost incredible. And anybody who's been really been around wild turkeys will agree with me on this. Because they have, this, there's something in the way they talk that just makes them so unique. And one of the, you know, you know, when I said I wouldn't mistake a guy, you know, the biggest thing is on the first sound, you might not, but once they get into the second characteristic of the second yelp or the second, cut, once they get into it more, and you could tell it's a human being all the time, it's a little different. Because a turkey is so different. They vary their sounds. Like I said before, most hunters don't do that. You know, there's so many different yelps, there's so many different clocks. You know, you've got, you got, where are you clocks? We've got, watch out clocks. we got... Hey, take notice, Clock. You got different kind of key keys. You got lost key keys, you got happy key keys, you got all these all these things are part of the Turkey language. And, you know, to be able to learn that stuff or try to learn that stuff with technology today, I'm doing this every single day. I get the opportunity to do it every day. And my wife you know, I even think to myself, i I must be mentally I must be mentally crazy or something. You know, I just wonder if they're going to come and take me away for one of these days. And, <laughs> but it's, it's something we talked about earlier. It's something we love to do. I mean, you know, turkeys are a great passion. It's, it's yeah. not, we could have went in a lot of different directions. It could have been a lot worse, that's for
0: sure. No doubt. So you talk about the inflection a good bit, and I totally understand what you're talking about. However, if some of the listeners don't, give us an idea, just you know, I know you don't have okay. a call, but you can use your natural voice. Just give us kind of an idea of what is what is a happy clock? Well, what is a
2: well, that's, where that's are a you good cluck? question because you know, even like in a turkey calling contest, you know, like you can go to and everybody kind of like when you, they ask the clock of the wild turkey, everybody kind of like I've heard guys do things and I'm thinking, wow, that's, an, that's a warning clock. You know, turkeys have different types, different, and it's all <laughs> in their mood kind of like you know, yeah. different type of clocks, and if you hit the wrong clock. You know, you could be standing, you could be sitting within 12 turkeys around you. And if you do what I call happy clocks, you're kind of like a little bit more on the, on the higher side. It's like, <laughs> just light stuff. I mean, light, but, but it's like a little bit higher pitch. It's kind of, it's a good way of saying it. I call it a happy clock. You, I feel that. Maybe it's been, I've been around for turkeys for so long, so close. I feel it. I mean, I can just, I recognize that clock. And all you do is put a little bit more inflection on them, maybe a little bit deeper, and every one of those turkeys, instantly, all 12 heads will be up right away looking. Because you told them to watch out, look out, take notice, just by just a little different sound and inflection in that talk. And that's huge. You know, like I said, I was, I've been around a lot of guys that are you know, I mean, they got some, I'll, I'll never forget one time. And, you know, I, I was around this really good tough caller. I mean, the guy's an excellent turkey caller and he was going through some of the calls there and he says, listen to this. He started doing some talk. When he was doing the talks, it hit me right away. And I thought, and he had, he had four of his buddies standing around him there, you know? And, and I said, that's pretty nice. I said, but it's, I wouldn't use that in the woods. And he said, what do you mean you wouldn't use that in the woods? You're telling every turkey to watch out. That's kind of a that borderline, watch out, look out problem. <laughs> and the other guy's kind of like, well, wait a minute. I hear that all the time. That's, definitely a turkey sound I said yes it was that, that's a, definitely a turkey sound but you're telling all the turkeys that'll look out watch out there's something wrong here I'm just not sure of this everybody take notice and now all that is is just a little bit of an inflection in the clock and uh, that's why you know you've got to listen to the turkeys and study this sound the same with the key keys you your fly down cackles I mean every your yelps you like I said I mentioned walking yelps you got healthy yelps you got you know got soft plain yelps you got uh, excited yelping key uh, keys I'll just take for example the key key. There's a number of different key keys. One of them we always associate the key key or the key key run to a lost bird, and that's usually what it's for. I mean, when a turkey is separated even from birth, they go from pole whistles where they're just kind of like high pitched when they're first born, and, they're up, and then as their voice progresses a little bit more, it gets into a key key, a little bit smoother key key, and then it goes into the key key run, and then from the key key run, it kind of works into their yelping. It's a it's a progression as they get a little bit older. So, so when a turkey is separated from its Blockmates, they go into what we call the kiki key key and kiki key key run it's a it's a where's everybody at i'm lost that's what exactly what it's saying and you can hear that in a turkey in a, in a turkey kiki key key. and a caller should learn how to do the kiki key key run if that's what he's trying to pretend at that time or she's trying to portray at that time that she's lost and those little inflections on the end of the notes or in the beginning of the notes especially on the end it's almost like telling everybody hey is anybody out there i'm lost i'm lost you know and then they've got other kikis, what I call calm, almost like happy kikis, where you'll see those like in the springtime. You know, sometimes you can, you got birds standing, you got maybe 15 other birds standing around, and all of a sudden a bird will start kikiing. You wonder, what, what's she kikiing about? She's not lost, but she just kind of like happy. She just kind of like just talking. It's, it's her way of talking at that time, you know, and they'll do, they'll do just do basic, what we call, what I call key, just bakey, kiki, and kiki runs at that time. So there are a number of different kikis. And, then you got a key key, what I call a, kind of like a come a looking a come looking key key. When a hen's is coming into you or a gobbler's coming, a young gobbler, whatever it might be, coming into you, especially a young gobbler and, and a hen, they'll be coming in and they know where they last heard you and they, they can't find you. It's almost like saying, like we talk about this in the clock, we got where are you type clocks where a hand will come in until when she's looking for you, she does, <laughs> it's almost like, where are you? That's what she's asking you when she does that. Well, they've got key keys also. Some hands will do that when they come in. They're coming in, they can't find you. All of a sudden they'll go, e, e. just a couple of notes, maybe one or two, just two. Almost like, where are you at? Where are you at? I know you're here. Where are you at? And that. so there, we got, you know, a lot of guys don't know about that come looking key key, but that's, that's a common, and many, I'm sure many hunters have had that happen when a hen gets to a certain spot, All sudden, she'll start keying. What she's doing, she's asking her, where are you at? So you can see how every one of these calls can be broken down and they have a language. It's like you and I know we're near complex, like I said, but they're speaking, you know, a turkey. Think about it. With all the predators out there today, a the turkey's not going to be going, you know, walking around making noises, because he knows that or he or she knows, knows that every time they open their mouth up, you know, they are going to they could possibly be running into problems, and then they do. Throughout their lives, they're running into problems like that. It'd be like you and I. If somebody set us off into a, a foreign planet somewhere, and we know that everybody's after us, I don't think I'm going to be wandering around the woods saying, hey, where you at? I, well, I'm over here. No, I'm going to be pretty quiet. The same thing with wild turkeys, too. Yeah. Yeah,
0: this is good stuff. I'm enjoying this, you know, you have a knowledge that I think a lot of people don't have about the language of the wild turkey. So we know that you've judged quite a few calling contests in your day. How, how do you, how are you able to separate that contest calling with the calling that a wild turkey does? And do you even try? Do you just go to to judge and say whoever can imitate that real sound well, that I connected. hear in the Best woods, woods all the time, that's <laughs>
2: gonna be <laughs> that, yeah. One of the. when I judge I'll be told you exactly what I'd do. When I was sitting under the curtain, when I used to judge certain calling contests, whenever I did it, I would close my eyes on every single call because I want to give every caller their due. I know how much these guys put and these girls put into the into the into this contest. So I would close my eyes on every single one of them and listen yeah. to every single call. And I would imagine that if I heard that at 25 or 30 yards in the woods, would I think that's a real turkey? That's how I judge. I, according to that, that's how I felt. You know, I've been, I've been very fortunate over the years to spend all this time. Like I said, I spent with raised, all raised turkeys and I spent all these years with wild turkeys. And, and the more you're with them, you just kind of, you know, it, it's incredible. And you just, you, you know, their language, you feel their language, you can feel it. And when a guy or a woman or whoever it is, they make that sound, as I said before, very, very, very few times do they sound exactly like a real hen. I mean, it's like count on my hand how many times I've heard that ever. And it's amazing, though, but that's kind of like how I would judge. And I've even gotten to the point now and I've taken to a total extreme. It's kind of like when I'm working on my calls now, i my calls, try to get to that point where I sound like a wild turkey. That's my goal. That's my goal. But my old mentor from years and years ago, who's long past now, one of the things he told me, and I'll never forget this. He said, never be satisfied, golfers. He said, don't ever become satisfied. And I said, what do you mean? He said, if you ever become satisfied, they'll bury you. And you're going to start doing something else. You'll lose that edge. You'll want to go golfers. Don't ever become satisfied. And you know, 45 years I've been working on turkey calls and not to sound like a real hand. And I know I got a lofty goal where every time I make a sound, I want to sound exactly like a real turkey, so that someone who knows turkeys would recognize me as a real turkey. That's what I want to get to the point. And am I might not ever, probably ever, never going to get there? But it's a fun, fun place to be. Now I've gotten to the point. Now when I, you know, I said I used to listen to someone at thirty yards and think it, but now I got to the point where I, and I've been telling a few people just recently this because I think it's so true. And I touched on it earlier that. If I was standing in the woods or my yard or whatever it might be and I had my back turned and someone was 10 feet behind me and I didn't know it was there and started calling, but I immediately think, whoa, there's a hen. There's a turkey, a hen right behind me. That's a turkey right behind me. You know, and that's really, really razor's edge. I mean, if you can get to the point where you're going to fool somebody who really knows turkeys, somebody who's going to say, whoa, that is a hen. Because think about it, a real turkey could be sitting on your knee and when she calls, she sounds like a turkey. There's no mistake in her. You know, you don't have to see her. And, and guys out there that knows turkey know exactly what I'm talking about. Whenever they speak, you can, I mean, no matter. And I said about it earlier, all these turkeys, I've got 3,000 of them recorded and every single one of them, not one of them sounds like a turkey caller. Every one sounds like a turkey. A turkey just has a natural, you know, unique thing. So that's kind of like how I got, I've gotten to that point now where that's where I want to be now. I mean, I want, I want to be able to call that if I can get these, somebody like, say that you raise wild turkeys or you're around turkeys a long time, and you're really into it. That if I could be 10 feet or 15 feet behind you, you didn't know I was there and I started yelping to you or whatever I'm doing, you'd say, whoa, you instantly stop. Oh, that's a turkey right there. There's a turkey coming right behind me. So, I mean, that's, that's that's kind of a lofty goal, but that's the way I like to do it. But turkey call Turkey calling contests are, like I said before, they're a good tool. They're an excellent tool. They're a lot of fun, especially for somebody who's serious about turkey calling because it keeps you, you know, you gotta, you got to work at it just like anything else. If you want to be the best, you've got to work at it. I mean, like you, you mentioned it before, you know, the guys that are winning, consistently winning, they spend a lot of time doing this, you know. And, I mean, we, we could talk. I could talk all day. I could talk all day on this, you know, turkey calling contests and, and like that. But, and another thing, you know, turkey calling contests are kind of like a, you know, they kind of hinder on the judges. Judges are one of the most important things in the turkey calling contest. you got to you know, went round and round about this many different times. And you got to have someone under, you know, you got to have someone under that curtain judging you who knows wild turkeys. You know, not who knows a turkey call, who knows wild turkey. You know, because mm-hmm. a lot of people can make a call sound, that they, they can be music, what I call musicians and make the sound pretty or whatever it is. But a turkey's not pretty. You know, a lot of guys are judging turkey calls and turkey callers. On mistakes, and I kind of laugh at that because turkeys don't make mistakes. I mean, you know, I've been sitting right next to some call, you know, judges during the calling contest, and the guy says, "Oh, he made this mistake here and mistake." I'm thinking mistake. You know, turkeys make all kinds of squawks and squeaks and squawks. That's part of their normal language. And if you do it the right way, it's turkey. It's turkey. So when I judge the calling contest, I could, you yeah. know, I'm not worried about no mistakes. There's no mistakes. Turkeys don't make mistakes. If you, if you're talking like a real turkey, it's you're gonna. I mean, it's if somebody knows turkey. You're gonna. It, you sound like a real turkey. I mean, you are all. I've I've recorded these, especially these roost segments. I recorded sounds that turkeys do, from coughs to burps to growls to the squeals, the people would never, ever believe it was a wild turkey, but that's part of their language. I mean, their their voices break, just like yours and I, and uh, throughout, and, it, you know, they're putting inflections in their sounds and all kinds of things. They've got growls. I mean, they've got a, what I call it. I handle do it, what I call a growl yelp, and there's, if you do that the right way, and I've never told too many people about this, but, I call it what I call a growl in yelp, and I'm sure there's good hunters out there that know exactly what I'm talking about. A hen kind of, kind of growls into her yelp. She's like, ar, growl, 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 like that. It sounds funny. gonna go right into her yelp. I'm telling you what, I can turn a situation completely around if I do that the right way. I mean, you can get gobblers start going crazy, and you can have some older hens in there just go crazy on that, and they start right away. They jump right into it. And you asked me that question before on how to get a. You know, a hand going sometimes that growl yelp, and sometimes I can get three or four hands starting to do the same type of thing. It's funny. So it's really, you know, like I said, we're just kind of scratching the surface on this turkey talk stuff. I mean, there's a whole lot going on out there that we don't understand for sure. It's fun trying. Though.
0: Yeah, I think Cameron and I are going to cut that little part <laughs> about the growl yelp out yeah, of the I show. Mean-
2: I've got, I've, you know, cause I've talked <laughs> about that before, and I've talked about that before to several people, like, and they said, "Well, what's it like? What's it like?" And I said, "Well, you can go. I can even point out even on some YouTube segments, there's there's one or two of 'em out there where you can actually hear that. But I'll tell you what, you guys, you can't believe that when you, you know, and she you guys like, oh god, she works right into her yelp, and if you do it the right way, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I've had the whole flocks just open right up, like over something like that, where they weren't saying nothing before. I mean, a whole flock of hens sometimes will start right on you like that. So it is a, but there's there's other calls out there like that too that are you know you know you don't tell like guy said to me when I first started making videos. Well, why are you telling everybody all this stuff? And I said, well, you know, you don't tell everything. There's a few things you keep don't keep under your hat for sure. <laughs>
0: sure, absolutely. So if if for most judges, if I. Competitive caller got up and did that growl yelp. They'd probably get voted yeah, out of the contest because, at that point yeah. in time, wouldn't they?
2: Unless there was someone you know, unless someone was out there knows exactly. And we, you know, there's a lot of different sounds too. The guy said, "Oh, I never." And one thing that always bothered me more than anything is when. I hear somebody say, oh, wow, this guy sounds better than a wild turkey. Oh, kidding me? I just told you that I've, <laughs> I've 3,000 different hands. I've spent my life with wild turkeys. I've never heard a guy yet that sounds like a wild turkey, and to say that he sounds better than a wild turkey, that's incredible. No way. Absolutely. That tells you right away that they have no idea what real yeah. turkeys sound like. Absolutely no way. And again, what they're, what they're kind of like – what they're liking it to is the music is music. See, we're, we're musically, as humans, we're musically inclined, if you think about it. We're musically inclined ever since all through our life. You know, when we hear a song, a song's playing, and all of a sudden, you you know, think about it. When a song's playing or somebody's singing, and all of a sudden they hit an off note during the song, it catches your ear right away. It's like, wow, that shouldn't be there. But that's not what turkey talk is. Those little, those little inflections, those little stops and starts like that are all part are all part of the language. Well, we're so musically inclined; we expect everything to be in perfect unison. But that's not the way it is with wild turkeys. You know what I mean? We want it all to be. You know, most people, a lot of people want it to be musical and in line and perfect. That's not turkey sounds. Turkey. I mean, when the turkey yelps, they will sometimes jump right into their yelps. Or they, you know, most guys. Like if I said to you, I said, uh, hey "Andy or Cameron, uh, let me hear your yelp." Most cases, you probably just would do what I call the normal upstep yell. Would be like no, 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 like no, no, no. Everybody does that upstep yell. Well, a real hen, if I would you know somebody knows turkeys, probably says, let me hear a yell, how many guys are gonna go? Nip, 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 nip,
4: nip, 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 nip,
2: Very few guys, or, nip, 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 or something. You know, I mean, they an all different inflection, or maybe do a questioning type yell. Very few people do that. The turkeys are doing it all the time. They come into their yell so differently all the time. And that's what makes them. That's what sets them apart from a human. Because most guys, when we sit out by a tree or a stump or whatever it is, and you're scratching out, you're scratching out the same thing over and over and over again. Well, turkeys don't do that. I mean, they're, right. they're saying something every time. You know, they're inflection. You know, hey, where you at? I'm over here. Well, come on over here. You know, come on over here. How's it going over there? You know, it sounds crazy. This sounds crazy. But if you think that way and try it next time, think about actually saying something while you're calling. It's amazing how much more realistic your calling will be.
0: Yeah. You know, you talked about the types, the different types of sounds that you've heard turkeys do that, you know, most hunters probably have never heard. And I think in that pine hens clip that we played, you know, there's seems like I'm I'm guessing it's a Jake in there. But before he really gets, I don't know, Mm -hmm. maybe fully awake. There's some sort of a god awful sound that he makes. That's (laughs) him trying to gobble. That is just not even close to a gobble. It sounds like he's being and
2: I mean, it's like how different that is. I mean, you know, and the other thing about it is the stuff that you hear. Like, like I said, I spent right now. I've got a really, I've got a four thousand forty five hundred dollar camera. I've got five hundred dollar microphones, two five hundred dollar microphones. I've got the best, some of the best. Well. I would like to have better equipment. You never have the best, you know, the way technology advances all the time. But you know, on how some of these re- these re- yeah. and that's a that's kind of a good question. I mean, you're talking about that golfer. they're making certain sounds, and but the way that the way it's recorded is so huge too. Because you know, if you record a situation, let's say we got a hen coming in, and somebody has like a subpar camera or a subpar recorder, where you know we sit, we and I'll give you some examples of this. Like a hen's walking in and she's yelping. and all of a sudden you go home and listen to that. You, really huh you know, and if you're listening very close to it, she didn't sound like that, you know and one of the reasons is is the device you were using isn't capable of capturing all the frequency spectrum from the highs to the low. In most cases, on a subpar device will capture only the higher frequencies and not able to capture the low frequency. And those lower frequencies are very, very important. And I'm going to give you an example. Watch any, almost any YouTube video out there. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there of gobbers standing 20 feet away from the camera, and you can't hear them drumming. Well, you and I know, being turkey hunters, we can hear turkeys mm-hmm. drumming at 100 yards in the woods. And if you've got good microphones, I can, some of the stuff in my house here, because of the system I told you with a subwoofer and all these big speakers, I can actually rattle the windows in my house with just a gobbler drumming because it was recorded in the right way with the right equipment. Now, on the other part of the spectrum is you have to, if you're really serious on this, you have to have what you're listing the device, the device you're listening through, is also has to be a good quality device so that you can also capture the highs and the lows. So it could be recorded, like, I'll I'll send segments to guys that'll listen to some of the segments that I have that I sent to them, and they'll listen to them on the phone, and I try to tell them not to do that because that phone has a one-inch speaker, a half-inch speaker, and it's not capable. It's nowhere near capable of expressing all those, the quality, what I call quality tones and sounds or realistic tones and sounds that the bird was making at that time. I mean, I've been in situations, like I said to you, I've got some incredible equipment here and I've been underneath hands that I could actually feel when they were yelping. I could feel the resonance coming from them. And I couldn't wait to go home and listen to it. And when I got home and threw my good speakers and everything, I still couldn't catch. It wasn't catching everything. So that's how how much better our ears are. I mean, really. I mean, we we can do we can record things, but boy, I'll tell you what, Mother Nature, our ears and everything is just like wow. It's so and we you know you don't realize it until you do this. You know, and take it to that to that level, but you know it's it's very important to anybody who's yeah. really serious and listening to real wild turkeys to make sure that they listen on good devices and make sure if you can that it, you know the recordings were done on a good decent device or a good microphone that's capable of picking up all the frequencies because you know i a lot of, like i said i i firmly believe and i said this many times that a lot of guys who actually listen to wild turkeys through their phones are actually hurting themselves when it comes to calling contests because they're not they're hearing kind of like a they're not hearing what that sound was really like is what I'm getting at and they're trying to mimic and they're not hearing if you were really there at that time you know with that bird calling she sounded different than what you're hearing on that phone so that's why I always tell anybody that I. Segment that I send to them, whatever it is, get the best system you can, you know, the best speakers you can, the mm. best headphones you can, and that's the way to listen to them because it's yeah. huge. That, that's a huge, huge part.
1: Yeah. Denny, I ordered your yeah. DVDs from you, and I would highly suggest anyone who is interested in watching some informative turkey hunting, especially order the Challenging Pressured Gobblers DVD from Denny. And on that DVD, you went into pick a spot calling and i i think it'd be cool if you shared with us about pick a spot calling because i thought that was really fascinating
2: well i appreciate that yeah and that you know there's a lot of different things on there some different things like ventriloquism calling pick a spot calling go back through calling things like that but that pick a spot is a huge it's a huge technique that i learned years ago and i learned it from being a cameraman and i'll tell you a little bit about what it is because a lot of guys will talk about it but they don't really employ it the right way i'm going to try to pick Tell you exactly what that is. Let's say that you're walking down a ridge line, a wooded ridge line, and you you get a gobbler to gobble down in the valley down below you, maybe off to your right hand side. She gobble. you know, he gobbles down below you there. He might be down eighty hundred yards down over the hillside. Most guys at that point, what are they gonna do? They're gonna back up maybe just a few feet or they'll set right down right there and start calling the gobbler in. Well, what's gonna happen? There's a good chance that, that gobbler is gonna come up over that hillside. And when he comes up over that periscope, he can lift his head up anywhere and there's a good chance you're gonna be out of position if you don't you know, and and how many situations have been ruined mm. over that. So let's go back now we got that same gobber located down over that hill. Well, what tells us that we have to call from there? Well, you don't have to call from there. Let's say that I was yelping and that gaubert answered me. Okay? Well, what I'll do is I'll just, I know he answered it, he answered the call, or maybe I just hit him with a crow call or whatever it is. Now I know where he's at. So now I go back and I look. I look the situation over. I look the area over. And it might be 100 yards down that ridge line where I just came from or maybe the opposite direction, and that's the ideal spot to set up where I want to pick up my setup spot where I'll be able to see the most. So I'll go to that spot, get my camera set up, and if you're in a gun situation, get your, that's where you're going to be your setup spot, When I call your control center. Now you're overlooking that area where you heard that gobbler out in front of you, but he's down over the hillside, maybe 80 yards, 100 yards out there. So once I get all set up, I'll, I'll get my camera set up, then I'll go back out to that spot where I was when I first heard him, and then I'll try to get a conversation going with him. That's where I start to talk to him and when he answers me or if he answers me or whatever, I'll, you know, depending on every golfer is different know, I'll, maybe I'll first start saying, Hey, where are you? And all of a sudden, boom, if he answers me, I'll jump on him right away, come right back at him and he might answer again or whatever it is. Maybe I'll start cutting to him or maybe he excited yells to, to him. I'm going to try to get a conversation going. And when then, then when I'm confident that I've got his attention, I know I get the feel, you got his attention. I'll run back up, go running right back down to my set spot, and then I don't make a sound. I just picked the spot where I want that gobber to go to. Now, remember now, common sense tells me the gobbler knows where the hen was because he just had a conversation with her. But really, now I'm 100 yards down that ridge or 80 yards down that ridge. That's where I'm set up. So then, you, this is important. At that point, you don't ever make another sound. You let him do it. Because if that gobber was interested, he's going to start working his way up to looking for that hen. He's going to get up there, and he's going to get up there, and he knows exactly because a gobbler knows exactly. They have that uncanny ability to you know exactly within inches where a call sound or call came from, a sound came from. Once he gets to that place and he starts looking around for that hand, what's he going to do? Where are you? Well, how's he going to say, where are you? He's either going to cluck or he's going to most likely gobble. He's going to give out a gobble. And when he does, then you are sitting there waiting. You're looking right down that reach line or whatever it is. You're ready. Once he gobbles, now all I do is I tell him, hey, I'm over here. And then you can just walk them right down the line or whatever it is. And you just get to start talking to them then with light calls or whatever it is. All he thinks is the hand just moved a little bit because that's what they normally don't do. But that pick a spot calling is huge. It's an absolute huge advantage to any turkey hunter because you can pick your spot out where you want them to come to. You know, you don't have to just drop down just because you, you know, you heard a golfer here because that's where you run into trouble. You know, they can come in behind you, back here, whatever. As a cam- I learned yeah. this as a cameraman. You know, from all the years of filming turkeys, that's how I learned that technique. It's been huge for me. I use it on almost every single gobbler or hand that I get a conversation going with because I need I need the space. I need the space because a good filming is the further I can see the turkey or the longer I can see the turkey coming in. That's good films for me. So that's how I learned to pick a spot, calling.
1: Yeah, and I mean, in a hunting situation, like you said, you know the direction he'll come from with pick a
2: spot. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing you don't want to do is make a mistake and start calling and become impatient and start calling before because it might take 15, 20 minutes. It might take a half hour for him to get. You might not hear another thing from him from, for maybe a half hour. But he, you know that if he was talking to you, he's interested. He's going to come looking. He's, I'm going to let him come, let him come, let him come, let him come. When he gets to that spot, it could be 10, 15 minutes. And then, all, all, I mean, he's going to give out what I call that searching gobble when he gives that searching gobble out, then you can start your conversation. But if you ruin that setup, if you become impatient and you start calling before he gets to where you want him to go, what's going to, he could come the whole way across the side of the hill then or whatever it might be. And then you, can, you, know, you just blew the whole thing that you just tried to set up. you got to be – patience is everything at turkey hunting. And I'm sure you all know that. Patience is everything. You know, in today's fast-paced world, we don't see patience as much. As a cameraman and as I get older and spend so much time with turkeys, patience has been my biggest, biggest ally by far. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. You know, I've seen things happen, you know, turkeys, you know, especially today with all the pressure and everything, turkeys are, very few turkeys are really in a hurry. You know, the two year olds might run in and they're dead. The ones that are in a hurry are dead. You know what I mean? So patience is everything and we don't see that too much. Everybody's running and gunning, and everybody's hurrying up in our hurry up world. That's just the way that's the world we live in. And, uh, but I've seen situations that just I just I've learned now and, and again it's kind of necessity for me because you know I got to remember I got all this camera equipment and all these microphones set up I can't just go running around the woods so it's been a huge advantage to me and I learned how much how important it is to be impatient or be patient and let things play out let it you know think about it we, the one big advantage we have and you talked about it earlier about turkey thinking and everything we have the advantage to be able to think we have common sense we don't always use that common sense a lot you know we you know you. You, oh, maybe I'd rather be over here I do there. You know, think about it. No, no, you, what, what's going to go on here now? What can happen? You know, I'll give you an example. It just happened this past spring. Goldberg's a perfect example of, of how important patience is. It was on the first day of turkey season here in Pennsylvania. I was with my son Cody and his girlfriend, and uh, she had never got a golfer. This was one of the first time she ever turkey hunted. <clears throat> so we went out early in the morning, and she was very lucky to get a really nice long-spurred golfer that morning, and I filmed the hunt. It was really nice. So they had to be to a wedding. So I dropped them off, and I went to a place, a place that I could, it was a beautiful morning you know, I wanted to film some more. I just, you know, I just wanted to see what was going on. I knew the first day there was going to be guys everywhere. There was, you know, in Pennsylvania, it's like a lot of space, you know, you got guys everywhere. So I went to an area, it was an old farm cut, a far, I mean, an old strip cut where I could see for, you know, 800, 700 yards in one direction, 600 yards in another, and it's partly wood and everything. It's just a nice place for turkeys, a nice place to just sit and listen and film or whatever, you know, so that's what I was going to do. So I sat in this one spot, I got set up there and I just sat with a camera. I didn't even set the microphones up and I just wanted to let play out. And there was, there was guys driving down on the far road, and they would get out of their car and call. And guys, you know, it was just, just normal. That's what everybody does. You know, I mean, they get in the car, they'd slam the door, get out and call, and slam the door and go back. And But I was looking way across at about 700 yards, 650, mm-hmm. 700 yards across the old strip cut. And it was in a, a, a silver Ford pickup truck parked over there. I was looking at it in my binoculars. And it was there for a long time. And it was coming up towards the end of, the, you know, about 11 o'clock, 30 when everybody would be coming out of the woods. And finally, I seen the two guys coming, and they were going to the truck. And I was watching them there, and that long distance, they looked like ants that far away. And they got to their truck, and they put all their stuff in the truck. And then they must have been given it one more last hurrah. So the guy, the driver, went off to the left about 25 yards, and the other guy went about 25 yards to the right. And they each gave out a call. Now, I didn't hear him from that distance. I couldn't hear him. But I could see the one guy bring his hand up to his mouth, so I knew he was giving a call. And he gave a couple of calls, and that only lasted for probably a minute or two minutes they stayed there. They both got back in the truck. Drove, and I watched him drive that truck all the way down the end of that strip job, and I could watch that road far away, and I watched them go away. They were gone maybe eight minutes. They were gone. And I looked back over right where that car was trucked, right where that truck was parked, and right where that guy and the driver called, and there was a big golber standing right there, looking out across that strip job. And I thought to myself, perfect example, perfect example. And unbelievably, so I just thought, wow, this is cool. So I started calling to him. And that gobber, once I got a conversation going, he came. 650 yards the whole way across the whole thing and ended up coming right down right below me and walked right on by and I filmed the whole segment. But I mean, it's a perfect example of patience because, wow. you know, when we're out in the woods and we're calling, you got to remember, as I said before, turkeys can hear incredibly well. And there's a lot of satellite gobblers out there. Sure, there's gobblers out there, the adult gobblers, I mean, the, the boss gobblers, whatever it is, they have their hands with them and But there's other gobbers out there who also are interested. That's what we call like satellite gobbers. They're interested, but it takes them sometimes. They're not going to run in all the time. They're going to, you know, they're afraid to run in. They don't know what they're going to encounter when they run into a hen calling like it. They're going to run in and, you know, maybe a big gobbler's going to try to beat them up or whatever it might be. So you got to let a situation play out. You know, some of my most successful films with gobbers is I'll set what I call set a situation up. Uh, If I'm going to be using a decoy or whatever it might be, I'll set the set a decoy out there in front of me or whatever it might be. I'll get up and get in my set spot, by a tree or something, get set up with my microphone, my camera, and then I'll go right up to where that decoy was and I'll set a situation up. Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll start cutting, maybe I'll start clucking, maybe I'll do some feeding calls or whatever it might be. Maybe I'll even throw out a gobble, whatever it might be. And then I'll go back and just sit and let it play out. It might be a half hour later and you cannot believe a half hour, 40 minutes later, here goes a gobble walking by, looking, looking here. He knows they heard it. The turkeys are there. They know it. They're interested. And if they are interested, it might take them a while, but most guys are going to be gone from that 20 minutes ago. They, you know, they try it up. No answers. I'm going, you know, sure. You might say, well, that's not fun hunting, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's pretty much fun. That's one way of fooling them. Yeah. You never know, You, you know, sometimes, I've, I've had that same yeah. type of situation where no gobbers are gobbling, and I set the I set up a situation or scenario, and then all of a sudden that gobbler comes in. And like I said before, he's looking for that hand Now he'll start gobbling, and then all you gotta do is make a few calls and bring him right over to where you're at. So I mean, patience in turkey hunting. I mean, there's that's it. I mean, that's that's a huge huge asset, and it's hard though. I mean, it's hard because we all what's that thing we always. You always think oh, i'll bet there's another one over that ridge and i'll bet there's another one i'll bet there's one over here just you know you know there probably is but i can guarantee you they're probably right there too if you said the sign and your turkeys are in there they heard you they know and if they're interested it might take them a while but you know if you have patience sit tight and the other thing is and this is something i really learned as a cameraman you know movement movement is everything. I mean, turkeys, one thing they're keying in on is movement. And I'm, I'm sure everyone knows this. I mean, they just, you know, they, they know this movement more than any animal that I've ever seen. I just cannot believe how they pick up. And you know, what really is amazing me that these, I seen it so much in these roost segments anymore is turkeys now within the last six, seven, eight, nine years have been coming more and more, obviously intent on where and wary on movement. I mean, it, they're looking, with now, I remember way back when I started these roost segments 22 years ago or 21 years ago, I would watch them up on the roost, and they'd look down, and they'd fly down out of the roost. Well, a lot of these birds now, I'm watching them and filling them up on that roost. I mean, they're intently looking the ground over. They're looking here. They're looking there. And, you know, they're worried about going down. And why is that? What do you think it is? Well, because there's probably a bobcat laying by that log there. Maybe there was last week. Or last. You know, they remember this stuff. There's predators out there now. So they're really wary. And one thing that they do not, they never miss movement. I mean, movement. When I'm filming the camera, I try, you know, I, I, I'm a stickler for a really good camouflage. I mean, I leaves and everything. I try to make, I try to become part of the woods. You have to when you're doing this. But I've had situations where I've had gobblers and hands come out of the rooster coming by. And they could be 25 yards away. And i got to make the movement with a camera lens a fraction of an inch. And I've had hands pick that up on my little finger. And it's camouflage And they pick that little movement up. And I, I'm, I'm just, they just, incre- it just absolutely blows me away at times. I'm gonna give you something another example. And you might not ever heard anybody ever say this, but turkeys, as I said, they can see movement. You know one thing they can see? They can see you breathe. And I'm thinking you know, people say, Oh, you're crazy and I told just to a number of guys and say, I don't know where they can see you breathe. <clears throat> well I've had I've got proof of it from some of the footage and videos that I've seen. Turkeys, that's how good they are at seeing movement. You I'll give you an example. I was in a roost situation one time, and I had a clearing there, and I had a couple of young gobblers slide down. And they landed down about twenty yards, and they were feeding. There was a couple of hens there too, and they were feeding. I was filming. I wasn't moving. It was a quiet, it was a calm day, a real calm day. And it was a little damp out too. And these gobblers, the young gobblers, are standing there, and they come over closer. And they got to about fifteen yards away from me, and I'm kind of zoomed in in on them, and I'm taking it all in, getting some nice footage going on. All of a sudden, one of the gobblers, and I never moved. I didn't do anything. I mean, because I know they're close, I can't do it. I can't even blink my eyes, you know. I never moved and all of a sudden one of the bobbers lifts his head up and gives the uh oh kinda that cluck, that like uh oh, something's up. All of them are up, like looking, looking, looking and they're focused right in on me. I'm thinking, I didn't do a thing. What could they possibly have seen? And that changed their demeanor instantly. And they all started to turn a little bit and they were kinda doing a cluck, back and forth clucks like, uh oh, you know, and they're looking at me, everyone's looking at me and I'm thinking, What the heck just happened? I even think, Well, maybe something came in behind me or something, you know, but as they walked away, they kept going, they kept staring at me, and they kept walking away, and I knew that they were focused on my position, so it had to be something with me. So when they were gone, I, and I, I try to take every situation apart, what just happened, what goes on, whatever, and I do that all the time. And I'm thinking to myself, what just happened? And then all of a sudden it hit me. That son of a gun, they could see me breathing. You know, on a calm day, think about it. I'm sitting beside a stump, or if you're sitting by a tree, that tree don't move. The stump don't move. Nothing moves except for maybe on a windy day, so nothing moves you got to move because you got to take a breath every time. And the turkeys can actually, if they're close enough and they're paying attention, they can actually see that movement. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's amazing. But I've seen it happen a couple of different times, and I know that they can see movement. It makes sense to me because everything in the woods is stationary, unless there's a wind blowing or whatever, you know, or a leaf. But a stump is stationary, never moves. And when we're out there set up looking like a stump, and the turkeys, if they're drilling down on you and they see you move, they know something's up. They know something they have to. They have to. How do they you the bobcat's the same exact thing? One of the biggest predators out there is a bobcat. I mean by far the stealthiest thing by far. And a bobcat also does that. I mean a bobcat. they watch and I've seen galbert in her hands too. And I actually filmed a segment one time where a hen come into one of my decoys and she come in and I had a bobcat laying about twelve yards away from it. I was hoping her for the bobcat to jump on my decoy. I used to play it at my seminars and this hen come in and I don't know how she picked that bobcat and all he had is his ears sticking out of the leaves. He was he was hunkered down like a cat that low, waiting waiting and he's seen his hand coming and i was just waiting for him to go and all of a sudden she picked him up on and seen him, and i don't know and the only thing i can figure out is he probably seen or she probably seen his body moving because all animal, all of us have to breathe at some point so isn't that incredible that's absolutely incredible
1: yeah that that is incredible yeah i've, I've always what, thought there's something they could see or smell or i don't know what it was but when they break that close proximity they they all of a sudden notice you're there, no matter what,
2: and so and that's maybe, one of the things. That's one of the don't. things. The other thing, and yeah, and turkeys like like in our living room. We all heard this. I mean, we all they know they kind of know what's going. on, Anything out of place, anything that's just a little bit out of place. And here's another crazy thing. You know, I mean, I used to tell this stuff in seminars, and people kind of like you know. And, and that's and everybody can think whatever they want, but I've, I've tried to take this stuff apart for so much, but I actually think we we give off a psyche too. I've been with people who have taken film with me or on, maybe on a hunt well, I've set them by a tree or a stump and they say, Oh man, these turkeys are going to see me here. I said, Just sit right there and don't move. Don't move right there. Just sit there and, Oh, they're going to see me and see me. And all of a sudden the golfer comes in and sees them. I'm thinking, Well, more but heck, I could have been in the same place. I hardly ever have them, you know, very seldom. It's all in your psyche. Like if you think that a turkey is going to see you, there's a good chance he's going to see it. Animals, as you know, they have a sixth sense. Same with deer. They have a sixth sense. We give off some kind of a psyche. You know what I mean? So let's say, an example, of if you're in deer hunting, you're in a tree stand. How many times do you have a buck coming to you or a doe coming to you like that and you're looking at him or especially a buck, and you're getting ready to shoot him with a bow or whatever it might be, and he gets to a certain point, all of a sudden it's like something slapped him in the face, and he turns and completely walks away. the opposite direction. Now, what the heck just happened? I believe that we give off something that the animals, They're so much far ahead of us that they can pick up some of this stuff. They know it. And you and I know that. I can do that in a room with you, a room full of people. If I stare at you long enough, whatever, sooner or later, you're going to look right at me. You know, we we feel something. We feel. And I think animals are attuned to that so much more. So I've I've had this happen many times. When I'm in the woods now, I know if I got my camouflage and I'm I'm really well, everything's good, and I'm not going to do anything wrong out of place. Those turkeys, if I don't feel that they're going to see me, they're not going to see me. But if I if I have any negative thoughts at all, there's a good chance that he's gone or he or she is going to see me, and I've seen that and I've had that proven a couple of different times. So that's kind of cool isn't it. I mean, that's amazing on how yeah. how aware they are. But they got to be aware. They have to be aware. Yeah.
1: My my mentor taught me. If they get really close, you don't look at them, especially not in the <laughs> eye. And I, 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 at first I thought this is you know nuts, but I've tested it before with close proximity jakes or hens where I look at them square in the eye and all of a sudden they get nervous. And then I'll just look down at the ground, they get back normal. And it, it's like you're saying, you put off a psyche. It's like you're sh- an energy somehow that they can sense. Just like, you know, when somebody's staring at you from behind, right. you kind of feel that. I think they have, like you said, a, a more acute
2: sense like that. That's it. And they have to, I mean, like we touched on earlier, I mean, ever since they were born and hatched out of that egg from day one, something's been after them. And, you know, so when you get up to a year two years old or however old you might be, you've you learned something, you know, you can learn something. You, your your ability to pick things out, you have to, otherwise you're not going to survive. You know, you have to learn this stuff. And it's amazing. I mean, it just, just part of you know everyday living for them they everything's after them so they've got to learn everything they can to, to stay alive but just some of those little things that I found. That's again, it all gets back to what I said earlier about the camera what it's taught me. I mean, some of the things I've seen, I would have never learned, never ever learned, none of that stuff. None of that stuff. It wasn't for uh, being able to go back and and, and let situations go on, and go back and review footage again. You know, even when I did seminars, kind of interesting because when I did seminars, I used to show videos. It was it was a video assisted seminar. So on the big screen, when I would talk about a certain technique or whatever, we'd go out and see it be applied on a gobbler or a hand whatever it might be. I've had many times, and you got to remember, now, I've seen these. You know, I've done these shows all the time, and I've seen these videos over and over. And I've had many situations where I've had guys come up to me and point me something. Did you see that hen do that, or did you see that gobbler do that? And I said, you know what, I didn't remember seeing that. You know, something gets by you. So there's a lot going on out there, and that's what that was a huge advantage. So that's why, that's why I do it. That's what I love about the camera. I mean, I just love to do it. And I, you know, I get the chance that I'd be one on one, and each one of us knows that all the hunters will agree with this. I'm sure. How many times you've been around the gobbler you've been after for the last three, four years, and. He becomes, wow, he's your main goal. And then finally, when you shoot that and you walk up to him, wouldn't you like to just be able to give him a little pat and let him go? I mean, think about that. Seriously, it would be just, you know, it's almost like, for me, it's catch and release. The camera is catch and release because we've all been, I think, to that point, you know, like, you know, he's been a, he's been really an adversary or a quarry, a worthy quarry, And you won that day. Wouldn't you like to be able to let him go again, you know, or something? I mean, I, it's just a cool thing for me. It's like catch and release for fish, you know, same thing I can catch. I do exactly the same thing everybody else does with a camera. I mean, with a gun or a bow or whatever, but I get a chance to, to leave them and maybe meet them again in another day. And that's
1: that's yeah. that's huge to me. That's that's really cool, and I'm sure the insight you've seen by doing that, because you spend minutes, if not longer, with a gobbler in close proximity, compared to a hunter who's gonna finish it as soon as he steps within that 40-yard barrier, or longer for some folks, I guess. But yeah,
0: <laughs> 42 and a half. 90-yard
1: barrier now, if you're a TSS long-range <laughs> shooter. There but, you
3: go. There
1: you go. It it is interesting. And and Denny, I got to say, I sure appreciate you coming and sharing this information with us. You just have a vast knowledge and obvious love of the wild turkey. And so I appreciate what you've done in the past for turkeys and and the insight you've brought to us today.
2: Well, it's been a pleasure to uh, share some of that stuff. One of the nice things, I mean, like I said before, you know, I've been lucky. I've been fortunate to see and hear a lot of different things. but I'll tell you what. As I said before, the more I do this, the more I find out how dumb I really am about the turkeys, and that's to me that's that's great. I mean, I love to learn, as we all do. You know, I mean, there's so much. Every every situation, every experience is just a just a, a another thing you put in your bag of tricks. You know, and we can learn from each other. You know. We can all learn from each other. I learn from your stories. You learn from your buddy's stories. We all learn from each other. Not only our own experiences, but we can learn from each other because there's always lesson in every encounter. And every time you go into Turkey's woods, and that's one of the nicest things about this sport.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Are you still selling DVDs, yeah, we have,
2: and, we calls? Have DVDs and calls? Yeah, DVDs and calls, Actually, I'm real busy with the calls now. I make a line of six different diaphragm calls now. They're unique diaphragm calls, a little different than anybody and any of the other ones out there. I don't split the reads or cut the reads. See, I gets back to when I used to tell you when I used to sit down on my pen and my ball... My, uh, well, my mentors, ten years and 35, 40 years ago, sit down there, and I. One of the things we talked about that gruff call, that resonance call. One of the things we did with our latex is we used to actually split them and cut them. He says, "Nah, we're going to get it with that." And but when we did it, when we started to call with that, we got the resonance. We got, but it was a tinny type resonance. So that's why we we never did it. And I don't cut the latexes. I mean, they'll give you a, it gives you a different tinny sound. But I've I've learned. Through the years of working with these calls, that there's a unique way that I put different stretches in the latex throughout each latex so that each latex works against each other so that if you blow my calls, my calls have to be blown differently, and that's one thing a lot of guys have problems with. When, they, when like they're when they used to having a split-readed call or a cut-readed call, you blow the call differently. Well, through mine, you got to work it from back in, back in your throat, almost like a real hen does. And If you learn how to do it the right way, you can make a number of different sounds, but there's... It almost sounds like it's coming from inside your throat. It's completely different. It's a different sound because a lot of latex calls are cut calls. You cut a call, you're going to hear that vibrating read, and that's what gives them away as being, you know, a human caller. And uh, it's I'm I'm continually working on that all the time. Continually working on getting to that point, you know. But I've, I've had a lot of advancements over the years, so. But I've got a line, a line of them, and uh, that's what I'm busy with working right now. So trying to get some how, made up. So I think that's, what that's good. Good.
1: how does someone go about ordering either the DVDs, which I would highly suggest, because they're. Very entertaining, full of great information, or a turkey call from you.
2: Well, I got them right here. You can contact me. I'm on Facebook. You can private message me on there. Or uh, a Midwest Turkey Call Supply sells my turkey calls, and they might have the DVDs. I'm not so sure. You could ask them if they don't. I could get it to them, but they do sell my line of turkey calls there. So either way, uh, or you know, you can, like I guess, you can message me on Facebook or whatever and get a phone call, and I can. Just call me up, and uh, we'll get you what you need. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much, Denny. Yes. I hope some yes. folks will get some calls and DVDs, because I'm telling you, the Challenging Pressured Gobblers DVD is priceless. And so I, I definitely grab I
0: know there one person is that. going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate I that, that very much. It.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but I, it's been a pleasure. Well, I, thank I, you. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. I mean, I can tell it's your passion there, uh, what your passion is. I can tell that you guys have been doing it, and uh, I'm sure you understand. And there's nothing like it. Oh, yeah. nothing, nothing
1: like it, it. Mm-hmm. that's that's the only way to put it there's nothing, nothing else like it
2: yeah
0: let's do this again sometime soon Excellent. this yeah. was Excellent. fun
2: take care guys have a safe season and uh, have a good time out there in the turkey world. absolutely same you to too, you Danny. Okay. thank, thank you. you great talking to you guys
0: i don't even know where to start
1: mm, me either you know it just the guy loves them the wild turkey and being with them and hearing them calling and he understands them in ways most hunters probably do not because he gets to experience turkeys fully without the, the gun. You know what I mean? He's hundred percent locked in on the turkey and what it's doing for possibly long amounts of time compared to the turkey raises its head over the hill and gets shot. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'd like to encourage more of the listeners to, to be like Denny and not take guns out. Yeah, Especially I think all in of our Alabama listeners
1: yeah <laughs> I, think, I think all of our listeners should take that oath this year i'm not personally but i think everyone else should and and i have i've gone out without a gun you oh know, yeah i have too. many times and it is really exciting still
0: yeah. but
1: i still do like to eat turkey a little too much to let them get the old pass yeah. all season so it is incredible interview denny's the man I really enjoyed talking with him. I really appreciate him sharing that audio clip with us. If if you're practicing your hen calls for turkey season, you might want to save where that audio clip was and go back and play it multiple times because you can learn some stuff from that.
0: Yeah, and I would definitely do what he recommends, and that is listen to that audio with some very good headphones.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, big difference, yeah.
0: Yeah, you guys who are listening over your bluetooth in your vehicle. I'm going to tell you you can you can hear a lot of stuff, but you're missing a lot of stuff as well. So, yeah, I would do what Cameron said. I'd mark the time that that plays and I would sit somewhere in a quiet room with a good, really good set of earbuds, headphones and listen to that. It's eye-opening. Mhm.
1: Absolutely. So, I concur. I concur.
0: Let's wrap this thing up because that was a heck yeah. of an interview. I mean, just, yeah, really no, good. No
1: point for a long debrief from us. And no. The interview speaks for itself, man. And <laughs> I bet
0: you there's going to be several people go back and listen to this thing a, a couple of two or three times. It just is that good. So anyway, you do you have a favor? for this week? Or did you give us well, at the beginning?
1: No, well, I mean, come see us. Yeah, I, I'll stick with that as a favor of the week at the convention. So Y'all you will be hearing this a week ahead of the convention and we will both be there all day Friday and Saturday, Lord willing. Come by and see us then and say hello, introduce yourself, and guarantee you we'll talk turkey and you might accidentally find yourself on our show. <laughs> so, come yeah. by and say hello to us at the convention.
0: And Stop by our podcast booth. When you come in the area where you would register for the show, podcast booth will be there on the right. So stop by there. If we're there, please come by, say hello. We'd love to see you and shake your hand.
1: Absolutely. That's a fact. Wrap it up, it up,
0: Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in.